Another season of Forgotten Horror has come to an end. But as Field paraphrases Al Pacino from Send of a Woman, We're just getting warmed up! Spend the next few months with Forgotten Cinema as season seven kicks off with movies from all across the decades. We jump to the 70s to talk about the front page starring Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. We dive into the 80s with Michael Mann's Thief and the Dennis Quaid Meg Ryan thriller DOA. And then slice into Butler's childhood years, the 90s, with The Last Samurai and The Negotiator. That's right, Field. You're old. So very, very old. Shut up, Butler. Forgotten Cinema, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Elise. Host of Crackle and Open with Mike and Elise. A podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every Friday, we choose a new craft beer from a different brewery and talk about the history of the beer, what's in it, how it was made, the history of the brewery, along with tasting notes and more fun facts. After that, come chill with us as we bring you the latest in pop culture news and reviews. So check out Kraken When Open, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hi, I'm Mike Field. I'm Pat Whalen. Pat is a lifelong comic book geek. And Mike is a filmmaker and storyteller. So naturally, a bulk of our conversations surround the world of the Marvel movies. Some consider the MCU one of the greatest achievements in modern day filmmaking, and others just think they're comic book movies. Each episode, we'll tackle one film and discuss the differences between the comic book and what's on screen. We'll explore the growth of the Marvel Cinematic Universe from its inception to present day and beyond, and have a little fun along the way. You may not have asked for it, you certainly don't need it, but you'll be happy we're here, we think. This is yet another MCU podcast. What's up, Pat? We have traded our celestial wings and we are in Queens. Yeah. (laughs) So we have returned to talk about a returning hero to the Marvel world via contract disputes and uh, legal matters. Spider-Man homecoming. He's back. So let's hop on that end train, head over to Queens and let's get started. Absolutely. All right. So we're doing Spider-Man homecoming this week. The runtime of 133 minutes rated PG-13 as they all are. Production budget 175 million right in the sweet spot as Pat likes to say. This movie came out on July 7th, 2017. So big time summer movie. Opening weekend, it did $117 million domestic, $334, and then worldwide, $880. Obviously, I think there was a lot of people who wanted to see this movie. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, this is not our first time seeing Spider-Man in the MCU, as as many of you are probably already aware. So this is directed by John Watts, who goes on to direct Spider-Man 2, or excuse me, Spider-Man Far From Home, and he's going to do Spider-Man whatever it is with home in the title for number three. Home run, homeschool, <laughs> home away from Pat's home. got some guesses. Pat's got some guesses on that one. Uh, we have Chris <laughs> McKenna and Eric Summers. Well, first of all, there's like five writers, six writers here. Jonathan Goldstein, John Francis Daly, John Watts, who's also got a writing credit, Christopher Ford. And then there's two, Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, who actually go from this to write the next Spider-Man Far From Home. So uh, the other, uh, there's a lot of writers. Well, I think program. John Francis Daly, he's... He was in Bones and Freaks and Geeks, yeah, right? Yeah, and now, yeah. Does he write? Is that what he oh, does? He, oh, yeah. No, he, I believe his writing partner is Goldstein. Okay. And they they did um, Game Night. They've done a bunch of movies yeah. that you've... If I listed off the movies, you would have been like, oh, wow, I didn't know yeah. they did all those. Yeah. No, they're they're, uh, they're doing well. Music, you have Michael Giacchino coming back, who just recently did Doctor Strange. And then uh, that's it for any kind of connection in terms of people below the line. Yep. Uh, with the other movies. All right, so Tom Holland returns as Spider-Man, Peter Parker. Then you have Michael Keaton here as Adrian Toomes or the Vulture. I guess we'll get into that later. You get to see Marissa Tomei again as Aunt May. 
And then you have all the new people that are in this movie, which I'm not going to give you all of them, but you have Zendaya as, I guess, Michelle, but technically she's MJ. MJ. Right. Then you don't know that till later. You have Jacob Batalon. Did I say that right? I, don't, I think so. Batalon? Batalon? Whatever. Batalon. He plays Ned. Tony uh, Rivalori as Flash. Great and, name. <laughs> it's a great name. I didn't, and I didn't realize that uh, Suit Lady uh, is uh, Jennifer Connelly. And then oh, obviously yes. Karen, right? <laughs> I know. My note, my note, my note is that oh, Spidey suits such a Karen. <laughs> Fortunate timing. <laughs> um, and then uh, and you have Donald Glover as Aaron Davis, which we'll get into his kind of his character's connection a little bit. And I actually like Donald Glover in this. He, his stuff is funny. He, it yeah. is. Why don't you? I don't know. Just just tell me about the movie. All right. So, <laughs> 15, 16 year old Peter Parker, high school student in Queens, is off screen and prior to the events of this movie, bitten by a radioactive spider and gained uh, superhuman strength. Uh, the ability for to those stick, who don't know, the ability to stick to walls and uh, his spider sense. I'm just gonna go on record. I think I've already said this here. But I prefer the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, where he actually has the web shooters. You actually haven't him. said this in this one, unless really? you said it. Yeah. Oh no, I prefer <laughs> my. I actually prefer the Spider-Man who generates his own webs. I'm sorry. We're going to talk about that later. Well, but, but I just I like yeah. that. But go ahead. Through the events of this movie, Peter is essentially an associate or sidekick of Tony Stark, and he tracks down a arms dealer salvager in Adrian Tombs and and has to stop them. Learning, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. That is not in this movie, Pat. You can't bring that up. Right. So (laughs) learning that you're nothing without the suit, you just have to do it yourself. Correct. Which Um, is the lesson that Tony learned in Iron Man 3. Yes. But we'll we'll get to that later. Yeah. We talked about John Francis Daly being one of the writers, his experience on Freaks and Geeks. Great show about high school. I think is, you know, a really good comedy, really good, you know, emotional story throughout that series. A lot of that carries over into this. I, my problem with this film is, on the one hand, it's a really, really strong coming-of-age superhero movie. Mm-hmm. And all this stuff in high school, all this stuff with Peter figuring it out is great. On the other hand, it's so tied into the MCU and so tied into being Tony Stark's apprentice that it hurts this movie. I think Stark in the movie does not help. He's not really a mentor, but he's supposed to deliver the lesson, like, if you're nothing without the suit. Like, I, I okay. Yeah. Him in the movie just kind of distracts from everything else. It should be about Peter and his and his friends and Peter and his mother, mm-hmm. or excuse me, his Aunt May. But I do like when Tony is like asking about Aunt May and kind of hitting her. Yeah, I, I do enjoy that. That's funny. In in Robert Downey Jr. and Marissa Tomei have history. They've been in movies before. They've dated, I think, yeah. which that really doesn't matter here and there, there. But it's still funny. It works. But that's really how does that help the story in any way? It doesn't. Right. Historically, with the character. He was always, you know, 15 or 16 when he got his powers. When Stan Lee created him, he put man in the title. He put man in his name. He wasn't like Kid Flash. He wasn't Aqualad. He was Spider-Man despite his age. And in this one, he still feels like the sidekick, even though his name's in the title of the movie and he's supposed to be the main character. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One of the most iconic moments in the Raimi Spider-Man would be what is the second one? With when the train he, scene. With the train. Yeah. So in this one, they have the scene on the ferry. Doesn't it make you think about that? There's two moments in this okay. in this film. It's that one and it's the Washington Monument one where it was they were more focused on these. I, I think they were more focused on making iconic moments than letting them be organic iconic moments. Okay. You know, they had him flipping over the Washington Monument and they had him, you know, s- stretching to to save the Staten Island Ferry, which like you point out is very similar to very spider-man it, stopping the train especially that one shot just the just the one shot yeah. of him trying to pull the Jesus ferry together like, <laughs> yeah. yeah 
again, I, I like the film a lot. I think Tom Holland is a great Peter Parker. I think he's a great Spider-Man. I think the early stuff in terms of setting up the story is a great kind of introduction without an exposition dump. Mm-hmm. And Michael Keaton is fantastic. But they, I think they force some of these iconic iconic moments in there. For instance, that fairy one. The fairy and one in the, the Washington, Washington Monument. Monument. But like, I'm trying to think, because as you talk about that, I'm trying to think of the set pieces. We can get to this in, when we do the split mm-hmm. between the movie and the comics, but I know that that scene when he lifts the rubble off is supposed to be... That's straight right. from the comics. But yeah. that's but but that's a big moment in yeah in the Spider-Man comic. Does that necessarily translate to being an iconic moment on the screen for you at least? For me, that was the bigger moment. I wish it was lit a little bit better. Right. Because I think it, it suffered from the same problems that maybe like Batman nineteen eighty nine does, where the right. final battle is up in that really dark bell tower. Sure. I think this this suffered from some some poor lighting decisions that in this particular scene, especially if you want to make it an important moment. But seeing Peter crying and screaming out, asking right. for help. Yeah, I never, you guess you never see Spider Man cry or something. Well, no, like you that. do. But it, like seeing him in that, like that was, was a good moment from Tom Holland. Sure. And then he, he decides, I got to do it by myself. Nobody's coming to save me. I need to do this. And right. he does. And, and that's very similar to the scene from the comics. Just to kind of give you a little bit of uh, some behind the scenes stuff for, I guess, the technical aspects of this movie, uh, Kevin Feige doesn't get paid for this movie. Because that that was part of the Marvel Sony deal that he wouldn't take a pay he wouldn't take a compensation for this movie. I'm sure, I'm like, sure he was like hurting. he needed. I know exactly. Oh, what am I going to do? This July seventh release date was actually meant for Thor Ragnarok, and then Thor was moved to November third, and then that pushed Black Panther. So for whatever reason, whether it was delays, I can't remember, but it pushed it kind of pushed the MCU down the line a little bit. See, I, I'm actually surprised to hear that because the other Thor movies had come out in November. And that's when Ragnarok comes out. Right. So I thought they were just lining that up right. to oh. be, you know, Thor. And I think Black Panther came out in February, so Black History Month. I thought that's what the tie-in was. Uh, maybe they just kind of was kismet. They worked yeah. out that way. Um, I think whatever Black Panther was going to get released was going to be huge. So it didn't matter yeah. what month it was in. This is the eighth time that Robert Downey Jr. has played Tony Stark. It's John Watts, who's the director. Uh, if you follow John Watts, he does uh, Cop Car and uh, oh, he did a couple like smaller films, which makes sense that he would be in this movie. But he actually makes the cast. He made, he got the cast over the younger cast, I would mm-hmm. assume, and made them watch a bunch of John Hughes movies because I guess that this was very similar yeah. to trying to mimic the John Hughes sentiment, which makes sense. But the end title credits and the music and all that stuff kind of. I don't know. Reminded me of Shazam, which is the DC. Yes, the the, the end title is, is definitely different than right. the other movies we've seen. Right, and I don't know if that was Sony engagement there, or if it, I don't know what that was. But you know, I had fun. Same thing with Far From Home. They do a similar end credit sequence. Yeah, with no, the music I, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is the fourth highest grossing Spider-Man movie to date domestically. Okay, and it is <laughs> out of five. Hang on, and it Six is the seven. second highest grossing movie. Uh, worldwide. Can you tell me what the first one is? Number one of all the Spider-Man movies. I don't, you're not going to get it, but go ahead. See, let me, let me walk through my thought process here. Go for it. I want to say Spider-Man one. Okay. But I, I don't know how, how the inflation dollars work on that one. And the reason I want to say that is because of the entourage episode where they want Aquaman <laughs> to beat the, the, the Spider-Man release numbers. I know into the Spider-Verse did big money and cartoons are big, but I want to say it was amazing. Spider-Man. You are incorrect. It is Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3. <laughs> Number one worldwide, baby. Ooh. So you can all make fun of it and hate on it all you want. 
It was number one worldwide. And I, I, as the time I took these notes, which is probably, you know, a couple of years ago when these notes came out, it is, you know, yeah. I would assume it's still number one. I should have fact checked that now. But yeah, Spider Man 3, right? Didn't think that, didn't see that coming. Did I'm you, not Pat? surprised by that now that you say, because it had the, you know, the conclusion of that story, how well the first two had done. Well, the first, the second one is fantastic. Yes. So absolutely. I think that probably was a lot of hype around the third one. Then you have Venom, who is a huge character yeah. that fans love. And I think it came out, if I'm not mistaken, came out right around the time of episode three. So I think oh, there maybe. were like almost like a back to back where there was a ton of these big kind of temple trilogies. And right. I think that probably helped a lot. Too. Well, the expectation is that the sequel always outpaced the original. If you know, uh, and if you're doing or if and you do well in the sequel, the next one should outpace it too because people yeah. are just you know want to see it. Want there? There's more of a desire to see it. That doesn't really hold true in terms of these movies, like Thor Ragnarok. We're doing next week, and you're like, oh, okay, it's the third Thor, but it's like I've been seeing Thor throughout all these <laughs> movies, so it's it's really kind of and the last one was terrible. Yeah, it skews. That model of thinking in terms of sequel to the trilogy, it's really just it's obviously it's the phenomenon of world building. But all these movies are like sequels of the next movie. And you don't have specific characters in certain films and you're not. You yeah. know what I mean? The expectation. Where does it go? Uh, so before we go into the other stuff, let's just talk about the movie a little bit more. A couple of things that I wanted to bring up. Uh, I didn't realize Stark Towers really right near Grand Central is like that close. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing. And then. Tyne Daly in this movie. Why? So Tyne Daly from Cagney and Lacey plays the head of damage control when she comes in. And she's such a jerk in the, mo- in the movie. But then you never like see her again. No. And, and we can get I want to get into damage control a little bit later on in the comics and in the MCU. This is the first time we see him in the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the last time we ever see them, mm-hmm. which is interesting. We'll get to that. Did you like the Spidey theme playing over the Marvel Studio logo? I did like that. Okay. That was right. I, I like that a lot. So this is actually the first movie that is because um, the first two logos are like Sony and Columbia. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> I was waiting for it to come and it took forever to get here. Oh, I know. I know. Right. And I will say this. I did not mind the Stanley cameo. I actually was OK. I like the Stanley cameo, too. How's your mother? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it actually that probably worked the best. I had forgotten where he was in that one. And that's the cameos that I like the best is where like they don't. They don't impact the no. viewing of the story. And they fit. Early on, they fit. Yeah. He's this New Yorker. He's not squeezed in. Yeah. You know, he's talking to the lady across the, sh- you know, across the street. Him being in that apartment makes absolute sense. Yes. Rather than him being at a party in Avengers Ultron. I didn't mind that one either because I, he I, did serve. I get that, but I'm just saying that still feels forced in there. Yes. Yeah. You, you him opening I mean? up his window and it's like, oh, hey, there's Stan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The theme that they use in the movie, is that the Avengers theme? Is that did we just hear that theme? It seems very familiar. The musical theme. Oh, his music, not his Spider-Man theme. No, not no. his Spider-Man theme. Like the theme for this movie was like. Dun, 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 I dun, think dun, it was dun. like. Isn't that Avengers? I think we might have to look into it more, but it might have been like a, a a riff on it. Like a riff on it, yeah. Like a like a maybe incomplete Avengers theme. Like he's not familiar. ready to be an Avenger. Yeah, very familiar. Um, kind of like um, I think of it as Hans Zimmer doing the Batman Begins. Mm-hmm soundtrack and then doing the dark knight where he's developing the theme for batman through the soundtrack so mm-hmm. batman doesn't have that theme yet mm-hmm. it isn't until like he's the fully fleshed out superhero that it becomes that he gets the the big Hans zimmer type theme so i would think right. it's something like that some of the other things i want to point out that i was kind of like eh, when he's trying to get a hold of happy 
And he's like, I've been calling Happy. Yeah. And then finally, Happy answers the phone. Uh, and it's like, well, why? Just because we needed to, you need we to find out. To right. Pass yeah. along the exactly. exposition. Yeah. Uh, it's not that easy to walk to for two dudes, uh, shady looking dudes, to walk into a high school and just kind of walk around. If you, it, that is not that easy. No. And this is not 27, even 2015, 20, this is 2017. Yeah. And no, no, I'm sorry. But people are like, what are you doing here? There's no way they can do that. <laughs> even no if you're, you're pretending to be somebody's parent, you stay in the office. Yeah, exactly. And the kid comes to you and yeah. he's like, I don't know these guys. <laughs> the other thing is, uh, I want to talk about Ned. I don't know if I like Ned. Okay. I feel like Ned's a liability because he can't keep his mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I enjoy Ned. In the second movie, I definitely don't. But <laughs> I definitely have a problem with supporting characters that are there to make me laugh for some reason or be goofy. I know we have talked this about uh, Daredevil, the, the TV show. I've always hated his uh, partner. Oh, Foggy Nelson. Yeah, I, could not, I cannot stand him. There are two avocados at law. <laughs> I will say this. I do have a problem with supporting characters a lot of times because yes. it's just, they're... I feel like they're they're there to just be funny. Further the conflict. Like right. Get the conflict started. Get them in trouble. So, yeah. You know. Unless you're somebody who is genuinely funny. Like Donald Glover, his two scenes in this movie are great. He's hilarious. And just that's him. That's the supporting character I enjoy. Not yes. somebody who maybe doesn't have... I, I don't know. I don't want to, you know denigrate the actor because i i just it, it again it's not just that it's probably the writing and whatever yeah. it is but I, I just don't know if i dig it i don't know if i dig it so i'll add a counter to that okay and i i don't necessarily know that i'm i'm in love with the ned character but i like that he grounds peter a little bit more okay where you know traditionally peter you know he had friends he had harry osborne eventually he had a handful of people but he was a little bit more of a loner he was kind of doing things by himself when you see him in the high school scenes it's fun that he has like this other kind of loser friend with him mm-hmm. that you know whether regardless of whether ned has a character arc or whatever he's I, I think in terms of what they they try to do together it grounds him in this high school story yeah and it you know doesn't just say this is you know it's not like it's smallville right where they're pretending you know okay we know you're superman now you you're a 32 year old guy <laughs> going to high school <laughs> i think ned helps ground him in this high school reality that they're you know he it helps there. I got you. No, I, I listen. I'm not. I'm not dying on that hill. And yeah. it's me, and I and I could be wrong, and you know, feel you're an idiot, and that's fine. I get it. No. Um, but a couple of things I did like. I obviously talked about Glover. I actually really like Michael Keaton in this movie. I I, I like his reveal. I thought that was well done. Um, in terms yeah. of like him being the bad guy, and then um, <laughs> when he's talking to Spider Man. Uh, and he's like stalling so that the wing can cut off everything. Mm-hmm. He's just like, I, he makes a lot of good points there. <laughs> <laughs> no, Keaton was great. Yeah. I think Keaton is actually, aside from Thanos, might be the best villain in the MCU. Well, he's a regular guy yeah. who got screwed over and he's taking matters into his own hand. I mean, they're the smartest, much salvage workers ever. Yeah. You know, I know that dude's supposed to be the tinkerer and we can get to that into that. But, you know, but he, you know, and, and he's against Spider-Man who has abilities, but he's a regular dude. So it's two guys, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And it's it's good to see. And it's not like you're not fighting some space entity right. or uh, Loki, magician, or trickster, that kind of stuff. No. Um, he's a down on his luck guy that kind of took matters into his own hands. Yep. I thought the ending with Aunt May is extremely funny. Yes. I thought that was was a really good end. And finally, Pat, she returns. Pepper Potts has come back (laughs) to the MCU. I knew you were going there. (laughs) Does she know she's in this movie? Yes. Um, No, she doesn't, because this was the movie that confused her. But she still was there. Well, no, is it shocking that it confuses her? Because we joke about how Spider-Man Far From Home is Iron Man 4. So why would it confuse her? Obviously. This is the one. So anybody that has watched um, the movie Chef, 
Great movie. Excellent movie. We watched it last week um, before recording this. For but, the first time? No. Okay. No, no, no. Just watched it again. Yeah. But John Favreau has a show on Netflix called The Chef Show, where he uh, works with uh, Roy Choi, who was his kind of chef consultant for the movie Chef. And he goes around and just makes stuff. And he has a bunch of guest stars. So there's one where Tom Holland, the Russo brothers, Robert Downey Jr. and Kevin Feige were all on it. But then there was another one where he brought Gwyneth Paltrow in. And this is where this stems from is her saying were we in that movie together? <laughs> and it's because they filmed a lot of these at the same time down yeah. in Atlanta. And so they were giving like half sides are the, the small version of the script that they hand to the actors to say, this is what we're working on tomorrow, or this is what we're working on today. They, they just kind of hand them to you. And when you're only there for like two, three days at a time to shoot these little scenes, you probably don't really know what movie you're working on. So we teased Gwyneth Paltrow mostly because of her goop nonsense. But in fairness, I, I don't, you know. Uh, 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 I, you you say we like it's me. You tease Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, I tease Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> I tease her because mostly because it's the goop nonsense. <laughs> but you know, I, I I give her credit for uh, for for doing this, and clearly I would be confused as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that, let's go into unless you had anything else to add. No, that was it. Let's go into some differences between the movie and the comics. Yeah. So Spider-Man was created back in uh, 1962. He was in Amazing Fantasy number 15 uh, by Stanley and Steve Ditko. Names you've most likely heard before if you've listened to this podcast. Amazing Fantasy 15 was actually the last issue of that series. So they canceled it after that and very likely the most famous issue of that series. And and it introduced Spider-Man. He's for anybody who's seen the cover. Uh, he's swinging through the air with a criminal in tone it's very reminiscent of uh, detective comics number 27 which is the batman the first appearance of batman and so stanley as we kind of mentioned you know he wanted this kind of new kind of teenage superhero he didn't just want the sidekick you know he wanted a you know he wanted a, an age-appropriate real superhero that could match the audience that's that was out there which at the time was a lot of teenagers a lot of college students that was what marvel was hitting on and so uh, martin goodman who we've talked about in the past wasn't really entirely on board but it was just kind of like you know what? Go ahead. Do whatever you want to do. It's the last issue. I don't care. <laughs> um, and so it took, you know, he that one blew up, obviously. And it but it took seven months to get the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man, which was his his solo run. So it, he didn't come out until 1963 with his own series. Just to kind of give you give you some background on that. A near mint condition issue of Amazing Fantasy number 15 sold for 450. Fifty thousand dollars in 2016. So it's probably probably picked up there a little bit, especially after some of these movies. I'd be interested to know what it was selling for around 2002, which was the Sam Raimi movie. Speaking of Sam Raimi, this isn't the first Spider-Man we've seen on screen. This is the third we've had. Tobey Maguire's uh, trilogy with Sam Raimi, and then we had uh, Andrew Garfield's duology. <laughs> duology, nice. That's what yeah. they call it. Yeah, nice. It was only one and two. <laughs> well, th- aren't they all coming back? <laughs> Well, maybe we'll see. We'll get to that. Uh, so this was the first Spider-Man film that has his web wings. Yes. From the comics. So you've seen it most notably, probably in the um, the Washington Monument scene. Uh, originally, when, when Steve Dicko drew the character, they were just kind of like a stylistic choice to kind of separate him from. He didn't have a cape, so he was different from um, Spider, uh, Superman, Batman, some of the other characters. Um but it was just a nice little like kind of kind of stylistic piece to to kind of separate all that. So there were webs underneath his his like elbow basically to the side of his ribs. 
they weren't really meant to do anything, but later characters have used them as a gliding tool like we see in this one. By contrast, this suit is most similar to the Dicko era stuff, less pronounced webbing, just a few lines here and there, blue and red. The Raimi one pulled from Todd McFarlane, who had designed the character in the 80s and 90s, a lot more pronounced webbing on it. So if you go back and look at the Sam Raimi Toby one, it's got a lot of just like webbing pieces and intricate pieces that, you know, when you watch it, you're like, how the heck did a kid make this? <laughs> um, and then, of course, smart. answer the question in this one, which is that Tony made most of the suits. Right. But they also say in this one, and I know I think you've talked about this before in the comic that he, Peter Parker is supposed to be on par with their his intelligence with mm-hmm. uh, Tony Stark, right? Yeah. And they, there's the nice scene in this one where he's making the webbing in science class. Right. And that I mean, that is better than when Happy's looking at him crying almost when he's making the suit. Oh, in Spider-Man when too. He, I mean, listen, I know you you you're I know you could be super smart, but if you don't know the user interface <laughs> of this high tech uh, computer system, how you not gonna how you gonna want to make a Spidey suit? Right. Yeah. So I think there was a number of moments in this, whether it was him making the webbing himself or um, just the debate team, where basically he leaves and then he comes back and they're like. Yeah, you're back on the team. Yeah. They, they acknowledge, like, clearly Peter's smart. Yeah. And it, it was also the scene with Flash, where Flash got something wrong. Peter just kind of, like, raised his hand and said, here's what it is. And so there's a lot of these moments where, you know, his t- intelligence is on on display. Yeah. The homemade suit that he has that they kind of show in the when he loses the Tony Stark suit mm-hmm. that's based on or similar to a Ben Riley's first Spider-Man costume in the comics. Who's Ben Riley? <laughs> oh, nice. How much time we got? Um, <laughs> not a lot. Yeah, so I'm not going to go into Ben Riley's entire history. It's it's incredibly complicated. Uh, he was the star of of a series called The Clone Saga back in the early 90s that was just just a mess. Um, it was he's essentially a clone of Peter that for a time thought that he was the real Peter Parker. Okay, and then later realized that he wasn't. And did, he was a clone. when readers were reading it. Did they know he was a clone? Or were they pretending he was Peter Parker for the readers? No, they were saying that he was the real Peter Parker. Okay. Um, and if anybody wants like a, a kind of shortened version of this, instead of tracking down and, and dealing with the, the convoluted mess that is the Clone Saga, there's Spider-Man Life Story, which is a series by Chip Zdarsky. Uh, he, I think it's six issues. Each issue basically puts Peter Parker in a different decade. So it follows from when he was 15 in 1963 all the way up until 2019 and, and it's his life as spider-man and he the, everybody ages appropriately so he gets older as it goes on and, and they kind of sum up the clone saga in the middle of the story there i think it's like issue three and four that's kind of the best way to just if you just want a quick hit of what ben riley is that's the one to do it nice but to your question yes so he he used the name scarlet spider when he was okay. a superhero his costume was inversed so in this one, you had the blue tights and the red hoodie. Yeah. He had the red tights and the the blue hoodie and okay. almost like a spray painted spider logo on it and cut off sleeves and everything. Okay. So the, and, and a utility belt. So yeah, that was that was a little bit more where they were stealing this from. Okay. Uh, this is also the first appearance of Cindy Moon with Silk from the comics. Now, she's one of the debate team people. She is one of the debate okay. team. I didn't know she was in this film until I, you asked I, I know. Well, I didn't even... Who's Silk? Just I, My biggest thing with that <laughs> note was, who who is Silk in the comic? I'm assuming this is just going to be an Easter egg more than anything, but she was a newer character intro, 
don't know, six, seven years ago. Okay. She got bit by the same radioactive spider that Peter got bit by. <laughs> the exact same the one? The exact same one. On the same trip? Yes. Jesus, but it was getting around. <laughs> <laughs> so unlike Peter, and to your point earlier, she developed the organic web shooters, the ones that come on oh, her wrists. See, I like her already. And this is, so this is just to kind of give some background on those. Uh, we've talked a lot about the Ultimate Comics universe and the Marvel universe proper. The Marvel universe proper, he built the web shooters. Right. That's what they they go for in this one. In the Ultimate universe, they're organically in his I think that just makes a heck of a lot more sense. I understand using the the building it because he's mm-hmm. a super smart kid. Right. I, I get that. It just makes a lot more sense that he has them. And I think they're going... Or this this movie is very much like the Ultimates one. It, yeah. it, it takes Peter and puts him back in high school, dealing with high school problems well, while trying to be a it's, superhero. It's a different... It's also a different feel for an MCU movie, even though technically it, it yeah. is, but it isn't. It's just... It's, it's technically a Sony film, but it's within the universe. Yes. So. But no, I think that's a good, much like we always talk about Fantastic Four, putting them in the sixties. Like, like it's just a different, it's a it's a different, different feel. Style, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. no. I think I think that's a big bonus for this movie is that it's it could be a standalone. You know what I mean? Aside from the Should Iron Man stuff, yeah, yeah could, exactly. Back to Cindy Moon, because they both Peter and, and Cindy share the spider sense, they become attracted to each other. Uh, Sp- Peter goes through a, a list of women in the comics, just. Everybody in it. I thought it was always uh, Gwen Stacy or MJ. No, 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 no. So there was there was Liz Allen was another character. He was one of his first crushes. That's why I think this twist in the movie works so well is because viewers, if you know the comics, every time they say Liz, because I don't think they ever say her last name, you assume her name is Allen. You don't form any. You don't even think about anything. Right, else. that it's Tombs. Yeah. And then when the reveal happens, you're like, oh. And even if her name is Allen, maybe you know that's her mother's name or whatever. But you don't you don't think about it that way. Well, maybe it'll be her name after because her father's going to jail. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I want Tombs to come back. I want Tombs to come just back. just like Hammer. Like, yeah, y- good. Bring them, bring them back. Bring back. Those are your two best villains, and you're doing nothing with them. Yeah. So we'll get to him in in one second. But no, Peter had a ton of girlfriends. Uh, MJ, the Michelle one. Like I don't, I don't like that they call her MJ. Like there's this well because you have to have her in the movie though, right? You don't because MJ doesn't pop up in the storyline until they're after. High- out of high school. Okay. Oh, except for in the ultimate, she's a high school student with them, but right. she's like, I think you have to have her there though. I, I mean, I understand why you, I, I get what you're saying, yeah. but I also understand the other side. Like, and if you're going to do that, just call her Mary Jane. Why do you have to call her Michelle? Like, it just seems true, like, true. Uh, you know, a half-assed attempt on both sides. So Ned, he's actually a reporter at the daily, in the comic is at the daily book. He's not Peter's friend at all. So you think they just tossed him in here again as an Easter egg? Well, no, there's, there's precedent for him. Um, so yes, Ned was a daily bugle reporter. They're rivals for Betty Brant, who's mm-hmm. the daily bugle secretary who we see in the Raimi ones. No, what they're taking here in this Ned character is the character of Gonky Lee, who is Miles saw, okay. Morales, best friend. So Miles Morales, for those who don't know, he was the second ultimate Spider-Man. The one he picked up the mantle after ultimate Peter Parker, died fighting the green goblin in an alternate universe pat in an alternate universe <laughs> so if you want to listen if, if you want an intro into miles morales just go watch into this well Spider-verse. we'll get into miles morales because i yeah. got that's my next comment yeah okay so they take the character gonky lee who is his you know heavier set asian-american friend and basically the same same character this is who they take they just combine them just take ned's name because i okay you know gonky doesn't sell to american audiences let's <laughs> oh, let's be honest now. here am i wrong um, well, I, I will say this. I think that 
you can make anything sell. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. But as some high-powered executive who has no idea about anything, exactly that's how they're thinking. Yeah. But no, you can make anything sell. Come on now, Pat. Sorry, I'm just just thinking. Wait, Pat, we're a part of a podcast, uh, a one of 145 uh, MCU podcasts out there, and we're making this so. True. Yeah. I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> we are yet another. Yeah. So they, you know, they kind of sideline Harry Osborne as Peter's best friend because we'd seen him in two previous yeah, I guess. adaptations. Even though I like Osborne, yeah. You talked about Miles Morales. Yep. So uh, we talked about Don Glover. He's actually supposed to be playing uh, his character, Aaron Davis, in the comics is known as the Prowler. Yes. And he is the uncle of Miles Morales. Now, from, I did watch uh, Into the Spider-Verse. He's in the end of the spiders, right? He's, right. He's the bad he's, guy. Yeah, he's the guy in the purple costume. Right. Okay. So with just, the claws and everything. I guess if you want to explain it a little bit, you don't have to get deep into it. But yeah. So there were a couple. Um, there were a couple different prowlers. There's a. There's some from the mainstream Marvel. One including was a, a kid named Hobby Brown. He was a villain, sort of, but then turned into an ally of Peter Parker. And then there were a couple other here and there, but they they weren't as important. The one that we get, Aaron Davis. By Donald Glover, he's from the Ultimate Universe too, which is where Miles Morales comes from. So one thing notable to the Donald Glover connection is when they started talking about a remake of Spider-Man, following the the Raimi one and then the Andrew Garfield one, there was a fan campaign online to get Donald Glover to play Miles Morales. Well, isn't he uh, isn't his voice in one of the comics? He is his voice in um, he Something? came in, in voice I think in the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon show. Yeah, yeah. I think um, he's a little too old now. Yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, for that character, but yeah, that's no, fine. Especially since they've already introduced him as uh, the same uh, as yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think you know, I, I think him staying on. If if you bring him back as the uncle, if you want to introduce Miles, but you've now taken away Miles's best friend. So, like, what well, else? Oh, and in, in, in Ned and in, in oh, Nike. right. Okay. So, like, what else? You know, you. Well, I would just imagine that this is an alternate universe, yeah. and that in this universe, Aaron Davis is the Prowler, but rather just, uh, I guess, a. Uh, He's a thief or something, or he's a rob robs. What's he I think doing? He's just, yeah, general he's kind of gun or something in the just beginning. Kind of crook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's got this purple, green, gaudy looking costume, claws and everything, and, and he's a villain, and he you know goes back and forth against Spider Man, and, and you know that's part of it because you know the reader knows, but the the people involved don't really know. Eventually, in the Ultimate Comics, Aaron Davis creates his own version of the Sinister Six, and the Sinister Six was you know essentially when six of Spider Man's villains come together to fight him. Let's team up that's it and this movie had five villains technically so it had the prowler had the vulture obviously uh scorpion was in it uh he's one of the guys on the staten island ferry and who ends up in in prison with um with vulture at the end he's got that mid-credit scene yep and then uh shocker is in there so he's the guy with the kind of gauntlets that are um fighting peter outside the homecoming dance and then Tinker, who Tinker was just always more of a like a, an admin guy. He would just build the stuff. <laughs> There's talk that hopefully there could be a Sinister Six in later movies. And I think that would be a good chance to bring back both Scorpion and Vulture. And maybe even a way to bring back Donald Glover's Aaron Davis and, and have him like eventually invite, you know, invited into the group, but doesn't want to take part. Yeah. And maybe, you know, he, he's how Spider-Man finds out about it or something. Well, talk about Vulture in the comics compared to how he was portrayed here. Same guy, um, same idea, same, same salvager? Kind of, yeah. So same same guy, Adrian Toomes. He typically wore like a green bodysuit with uh, wings. It's not great. Is the apparatus that he, uh, the wings, is that similar? 
It's similar, yeah. And design, and stuff but like I think that? they okay. they made it more tech based, more hover focused with the like the the rotors in it. Was it built with alien technology in the comic, like it was here? I don't think so. Okay. Um, he was supposed to resemble so in the comics when they drew him in the Ultimates, supposed to resemble Jason Statham. Okay. And I think this is better casting. I don't um, my, dislike my, Jason Statham. Is, is phenomenal. But I think this was a better choice. Right. But yeah, so between you know the the Prowler piece here and the Ned piece, bringing in Miles Morales might be difficult. Right. Unless they do some multiverse stuff, which is what which we're is on yeah, which is on the table, I guess. All right. So two things, two more things. If you yeah. ask, you have more. One, I want to talk. I talked about it briefly before. It's when he lifted the rubble. That's from Amazing Spider-Man number 33. Yes. What is so iconic about that in the comic? So, yes. Amazing Spider-Man 33 was part of the the kind of famous three-part If This Be My Destiny storyline, which was really quintessential Stanley and Steve Ditko introduced Gwen Stacy, Harry Osborn, uh, who are key players in, in the Spider-Man mythos. So Spider-Man gets trapped under rubble while he's fighting Doc Ock. Uh, Dr. Octopus, played by Alfred Molina in Spider-Man 2. Aunt May is sick and Peter is, is worried about losing her. So he really kind of like, you know, he, he flashes back and thinks about the death of his uncle Ben, who we know he was in part responsible for, which is not something we see in this series. Um, similar to the, the murder of Bruce Wayne's parents. How many times do we need to see uncle <laughs> Ben die? But he, he's trapped under it. So he, he kind of just, and he, he can't get out and he uses this. Uh, he just sums up whatever strength and whatever force of will that he has. And picks himself up. Mm-hmm. And so there's the cover of him of thirty uh, Amazing Spider-Man 33 has him buried underneath it. And then there's this famous scene that has him picking it up and, and saying, you know, I can do this and, and realizing with great, great power comes great responsibility and all that stuff. So, yes, they, they kind of pull that right out of comic and put it in the movie, which I've said this before. I love Tom Holland's vulnerability in that scene. I think he does a you know good, good job selling it. And you know, I, I like it. Okay, so this will kind of transition us, unless you have other... No, no, no. Okay, this will transition us into the MCU stuff as yeah. well. Damage control. In the comic books, it's a private repair and reclamation company specialized in dealing with damage caused by superheroes and supervillains. Uh, yes, I wrote this down. As well as various items left behind by either community. But in the MCU, it's a government organization with the same purpose. Talk about damage control in the comics... And then I want to talk about why we have not seen damage controls till now. Okay. So first off, I love the idea of damage control. As do I. I think it's more accurate in Pacific Rim. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a good point. So you said that, you know, they're, they're a government organization. In the in the MCU. In the MCU. In the, the comics, they are owned by Tony Stark. Okay. They're but they're private, part, but the, the private organization. The private right. organization in part owned by Tony and Wilson Fisk, who's the kingpin. Uh, who we see in the Daredevil yes. Netflix shows. And Kingpin kind of crosses over as Spider-Man Daredevil villain. The conflict of damage control kind of typically, you know, they're, they're an organization. All they do is go salvage stuff. So right. you either have to have con- corrupt employees or uh, you're fighting over ownership. And that's that was kind of the main driving one when they first came out, which was Stark and Kingpin. Stark said that, he, you know, they both sold their share in it. And then it was revealed that Kingpin had secretly kept his and then it became the fact that maybe shield owned a part of them too so they were quasi government related very similar to what we have here just just different type of ownership and i think they're they're playing up some of the, the government pieces okay here. As, as you would imagine the government would come in and, and want some of this stuff yeah so let's go into the mcu and get out of the comic world yeah. a little bit 
or forever uh, <laughs> for this episode. Mike feels uncomfortable. No, no, not at all. And the movie Damage Control is they, they get all the stuff and they store it in a warehouse and it sits there. I, I like I said, I like we both said we like the idea, but mm-hmm. why have we not seen it until now? Well, we were supposed to get a ABC show. Oh Christ! But I think it was going to be more of a comedy. Kind of remember that that superhero DC one that was on NBC capes or something do you remember that one it had vanessa hudgens and um alan tudyk vaguely i think it was supposed to be like that and when that bombed they pulled the plug on on damage control it would have been a nice way to kind of integrate some of the agents of shield stuff into the mcu proper even if you don't want to acknowledge any of the actors right right it could have been a nice kind of bridge where you see some stuff popping up as as easter eggs but I don't know, maybe it'll be a good Disney Plus show or something, you know, or or they're just characters within the universe of the Disney Plus, maybe like Winter Soldier and Falcon. Right. That might be, you know, where they just pop up in the background. Maybe. And, well, and I you, think that could work. Well, here's the thing. You put Tyne Daly as the, in this movie, you, you expect to keep seeing her. Like, I would expect to keep seeing her moving forward. Yeah. All right. When he gets trapped in the truck and he gets put into the damage control warehouse i guess you're supposed to see he's supposed to find an ultron bot head did you notice that yeah i didn't notice it but i heard i had some notes here that he he found a couple of different things oh go Um, ahead what are they uh it's just some of the same same tech that we you know chitari tech that we knew about i guess there was some stuff from uh the lagos scene in civil war that might have popped up and as well as those pieces of ultron um speaking of captain america did you notice who was in this movie that has a relation to somebody in the first Captain America? Captain yes, America I did. First. Okay, go for it. No, you want to say it? I don't I, want to take this. No, away no, from no. You. If you notice it, go. Um, it was the principal of uh, Midtown Science Academy. Principal Morita. Principal Morita. He also played one of the Howling Commandos. Same actor, Kenneth Choi. Yep, in Captain America and the First Avengers. And the incontinuity story behind that is this is actually his, like, grandson right there's our son or something. there's supposed to be a picture of his grandfather in the principal's office yes uh, as a howling commando he's howling commando jim marita yeah uh so yes yeah, so, uh, do you think that was just hey being this it'll be fun or do you think he just got the role and they're like hey weren't you in the first one <laughs> i want to go with the latter you look familiar because <laughs> it's so good um because it might have been like a sony casting like as they were kind of developing it oh maybe sony might have been like oh yeah let's take him and then marvel's like okay this is ours now yeah and then like it, th- that guy's been been with us before let's just you know make him look exactly like his grandfather <laughs> did or father i guess i don't even know how the age would work there but um i like it i think yeah. it's a fun fun piece i called it out when we were watching i was like oh hey by the way that's you know so and so and then and then she turned to you and said nerd yes <laughs> eyes never rolled hard (laughs) this movie they referenced civil war in terms of because that's where you first saw peter that's where you first saw Mm spider-man and they referenced the fact that you know he oh i'm I'm kind of his friend he's he's calling iron tony stark yeah because he's all excited now he's got the stark internship right right they put tony stark in this movie I would assume because to give it more credibility, to give it more oomph, star power, to connect yeah. it more, to connect it with the MCU more. Because I don't think they need it. I think you can reference all the stuff that happened. Like you said, this could have been a standalone. You could have just had the tag a tag at the end. Yes, I don't think you need Iron Man in there to deliver that message. I mean, it works. It's not like it doesn't work, but you can deliver that message any other way that you don't need the suit. Yeah, and I. That could have, like, let me just throw this out. Yeah. Vulture could have 
stolen his suit. And he yeah. and he could he could have said the same thing to him. Well, you're not much of a Spider Man if you need that suit. Right. And then he could have stole it back. He could have done stuff just right off the top of my head. He could have done something he like could that. Could have hired Aaron Davis Prowler to go steal it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You could have had. You, know. you could have bumped up his character more. Yep. Which would have which would have been fine. Yep. I, I would have liked to have seen a Spider Man Homecoming without that. Agreed. How how would it have been? You know, I'm hesitant by how much they think that like Tom Holland can carry these movies because you see him. He interacts with Jennifer Connelly's Karen suit lady character the whole movie. Like, can he not just emote on no. himself? Like, is that, like, is that a protective? Well, you're going to find out when he's in uh, Uncharted. Yes. But he's not the. Uh, well, he's not, it's not Mark Wahlberg's. Mark, so, yeah, Mark Wahlberg's in Uncharted as, as a side character, which know. is not. Yeah. I, I get, we've got problems with that one. But even the scenes where they have Peter alone as Spider Man, he's never alone. Yeah. He's got Suit Lady. And Suit Lady kind of talks him through things. Well, you have that moment at the end that you like when he's tearing up and he pulls the rubble off. Yes, you have. But that he's in moment. his own he, right it's, again. Where he's in his well, own. Well, here's suit. the thing: can he do it? I think so. I think so. But did the filmmakers have enough trust for him to do it? Maybe not. Right. That's something you have to earn. I'm sure. You know, they threw him in a hard position. Yeah, and that's that. You know, he's these movies are tough, man, because you come in and you're like super excited to, to be one of these, you know, title characters, one of these iconic characters, not just Spider-Man, but any, any of them, because you know, they have such a rabid fan base and it's, but it's corporatized. It's yeah. so, you know, <laughs> it's very similar to the boys, I guess, because I know you like that yes. show, um, but it's, it's just so managed and focus grouped and, and it's, there's no, Re, there's there's definitely creativity within the performances, but not a lot, and not in the marketing. And Correct. you know, I bring it back to Entourage, and wow, we're getting a lot of Entourage yeah, references. That's two Entourage references. We've we've met our quota. <laughs> we have more Entourage references than, than Mark Wahlberg ever gave. Oh, um, listen, I have forgotten more of Entourage than I have watched. I like this. I like the season where he's becoming Aquaman. Like I, I, I really enjoy that season because it, it speaks to a lot of this stuff. And there's the scene where he's uh, Vince, uh, the main character Vince, Adrian Grenier, is preparing to be announced. Vinny Chase, dude. Vinny Chase. I mean, I even know that. He's preparing to, you know, uh, he's at like a Comic Con type event. He, they're announcing him as Aquaman, and he has to sit down with a character uh, played by Rain Wilson, who's like a, a, a kind of Harry Knowles type, ain't it cool news guy who can kind of make or break the film. Right. And so Vinny has to ridiculously, yes. yeah. But that's that's how it was uh, I agree. Then. It's how it is now. Yeah. And so he had to study up on the, the characters and and know them well enough to sell. Him. And, and there's some other shenanigans, entourage related shenanigans involved. But, you know, basically he had to study up and know the character backwards and forwards so that he can sell it to this guy who could buy into him. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I think that's that's part of it, too, is, is you need to Marvel does a good job with these likable. You know, they'll be on, you know, they'll be on Instagram saying, you know, I'm reading my, you know, Brie Larson did it. I'm on Instagram. She's on Instagram showing pictures of all her source material that she's reading. And, yeah. and so they do a good job of putting that out there for the fanboys. And then they they get on the late night shows and they're they're all charming and personable. But I had a question for you. Okay. On this one it related to the MCU. Okay. Who's on the Avengers now? During so, this movie? Yes. Because we go at the end, we see the Quinjet flyway. Peter's oh, yeah. about to be announced being part of the Avengers. He declines. Right. Iron Man's a little bit more of a, a support role. War Machine is uh, a roadie is, is still dealing with his legs uh, and his spinal back problem. And it's Vision because we know Hawkeye and Ant-Man are under house arrest. 
Black Panther, um, who had sort of been on Team Iron Man, was really Team Cap now. He's in Wakanda. He's taking care of Bucky. Black Widow, also Team Iron Man person, you know, basically took down Black Panther, now has to go on the run. Well, they they never say that she's on the run. But we know in... He just says they're going to come for you. Yeah, but we know in Infinity War that she is on the run. Right, okay. And then it's Cap, Falcon, and Scarlet Witch. Yeah. So who's the Avengers? Like, do they just... Is it just going to be Spider-Man and Vision? Uh, yeah. No, you're right. Like, who who's on the team at this point? You're right. They kind of just blow that over. Yeah. So that's that's my question. If anybody else... And Doctor Strange is an affiliate affiliate in in Thorn, Hulk, or Offworld. Well, hold on. Wait a minute. Yeah. Stark's moving the Avengers facility from downtown uh, Manhattan to that place up in upstate New York. Yes. But isn't that the same place that Ant-Man broke into? Yes. So they were already up there. This is you could kind of see it's a little bit more refurbished than it had been. Okay, so you're sa- okay, but this takes place after that. Oh, hold on. But then at the end of Civil War, it's built up, isn't it? Or he that's still not completely built up. I guess it's not completely built up. Yeah, there's a little hazy thing here. Yeah. I'm sure they have somebody that can explain it to us. Yeah, but um, if you do, yeah, hit us up. Well, at, yeah, hit, get another MCU. Can I need you to, Like it would have been great if like. When he's like, I don't want to be the Avengers. Dude, I only have like one. I mean, I need more. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> I've had to make fake suits up of fake heroes. Please come. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, come seriously. It's your point on Avengers Tower. You know, we, we know that the whole piece is, is a, the final heist is driven by them moving out of the right. Avengers Tower. Right. You know, we know it gets sold. So there's been rumors floating around that either it's it was bought by uh, Oscorp, Norman Osborn's car- uh, uh, company, or um, it could be the Fantastic Four. And, you know, at the end of, we'll probably repeat this again at the end of Far From Home, but you kind of see Peter swinging through as it's the epilogue to phase three, but it has like um, road signs for one, two, three, and then it's four is blocked off. And that's when he swings up to the tower and it's overgrown because nobody had been there for five years. So presumably if it was Norman Osborn, he got snapped out of existence. Right. But um, I'm interested to find out like if we ever hear what happened in that building or if it was just easier to film in upstate New York, <laughs> AKA Atlanta. Yeah. Than it was in. I'm sure it was New York. But that's the problem though. With Spider-Man, he needs to be he, in Queens. He needs to be. And now he's not. And, and you know, he, he shows up for civil war and he kicks him back to Queens. That's great. And then we'll get into it when we do far from home, but then he's like, he's not even, he's nowhere near. We'll get into it. Far yeah, from I home. Want, that's, just, that's another discussion. I want a New York based Spider-Man. Is, I don't, I, I don't how many see Spider-Man are in the damn right. movie. I want a New York based Spider Man. Uh, let's say this about Far From Home and uh, Homecoming. Homecoming has the percentage of how it's a standalone is far greater in Homecoming than it is in Far From Home. Far From Home is now, you, it's almost like in Homecoming, he's just getting infected with the MCU virus. And Far From Home, uh, it's winning. The virus is winning. <laughs> like it's exactly like They're it round is. We're rounding the turn. We're right. rounding the turn. Like I said, I love world building, I enjoy that. But. I would much rather see stronger standalone films. Just yes. give me standalone films. And if you want to world build everyone together in one big movie, then go do that. Use Stop bleeding into use, the movies. Use the teasers yeah. to, to do that. I don't need, like, again, because they, they keep announcing it. And who knows what Spider-Man 3 is about. I know they start shooting. But like, oh, Doctor Strange is going to be his mentor. Why? Why does he need a mentor? Let him screw up on his own. That's the whole point. Yeah. Sorry. For somebody who didn't even read the comics, you know this. Yeah. And I like I agree. I want 
Spider-Man doing his own thing, screwing up and screwing making up, mistakes, figuring it out. Yeah. It, when he's in the suit, he's supposed to be more confident than he is when he's just not right. Peter, which we see a lot of that. Yeah. But we don't see enough, and I think they could do more. In Homecoming, he's the one he's he causes issues and he has to get around them. And Far From Home, the same thing, but like we got I got to have Sam Jackson telling him you suck. Like I got to yeah. ha- like not he doesn't say that, but that's essentially what he's saying. Like I got to have that character. I don't need that condescending character yeah. in the story. You know, the fact that they make, I'm going to get too far from home, but they make, uh, <laughs> they make Mysterio, he, he actually likes the kid. Yeah. Uh, the character likes the kid and he's upset that he has to kill him. I don't like the way they do it because he just suddenly becomes maniacal, but he, he, <laughs> he actually likes Spider-Man and, and it's just, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, we'll get into far from home yeah. next time. Again, this is a really, this, this is a really solid coming of age high school superhero movie just burdened by some of the MCU stuff. Yeah, agreed. I totally agree with what you're saying, Pat. All right, so next week, we're going to be returning. Uh, we're going back out into space. Uh, we're going to be watching... Uh, well, we're going to be talking about Thor Ragnarok, uh, starring all the usual characters, and uh, I've got a lot to say about that, too. Um, so I'm going to leave you. Pat, take it away with some of your Spider-Man Homecoming recommended reading. As always, at the end of each episode, we like to send you home with some recommended reading that follows up on some of the characters and plots presented in this week's film. Our recommended reading section is sponsored by Infinite Heroes, comics, cards, and collectibles in Watertown, Connecticut. If you're in the Connecticut or New England area, it's a great location to pick up comics from Marvel, as well as DC, Image, and more. They also have a large collection of trading cards, toys, and collectibles. Owner Paul Santos has worked in comics for years, most recently as an editor of DC Comics. Ask him for a recommendation and tell him we sent you. Before we Ragnarok and roll out of here, let's give you some recommended reading on Spider-Man. That's awful. (laughs) First, Ultimate Spider-Man. In 2000, writer Brian Michael Bendis and artist Mark Bagley and Stuart Immerman relaunched the hero as part of the new Ultimate Universe. Tom Holland cites this reimagining of the character as a key influence to his performance, In this long-running series, Peter Parker goes back to his roots as he balances web-slinging in high school. Next, Ultimate Comics, Spider-Man. Yes, the name gets confusing, but just know that this is the series that features Miles Morales' Spider-Man, the same Miles from the awesome Spider-Verse film. Uh, Following the death of Peter Parker, Miles picks up the mantle of Spider-Man in this series by Brian Michael Bendis and Sarah Pacelli. Uh, The first few story arcs involve Ultimate Universe versions of the Prowler and Scorpion, along with Miles' best friend, Gonky, uh, the inspiration for Pete's best friend, Ned. And finally, if you want some classic stories, then check out Spider-Man Blue. Uh, we've already given you Hulk Gray, so check out another Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, uh, their color series. Spider-Man Blue explores and retells classic Stan Lee and Steve Ditko's tales and explores Peter's early days and his love for Gwen Stacy. Thanks for listening. As always, please remember to uh, subscribe, review, rate, uh, share with all your friends. And if you want more, find us on Instagram, yet another MCU podcast. See you next week.